Terraria Calamity Mod, Pre-Hard Mode Terraria is a game that needs no introduction, and if you don't know what it is then you don't exist and probably should play the game to gain the necessary existence required to read this. I first played Terraria back on the Xbox 360 when Golem was the final boss, or Akram technically, and I struggled so hard with Plantera, I didn't think it could get more difficult than her. Fast forward years later and Calamity devours my time and sanity with all the new content, bosses and difficulty modes. Calamity is probably the most recognizable mod for Terraria, for very good reasons. So many new weapons, biomes, bosses, music, sprite work, a new class, and post-moonlord content. It's even getting updates to this day, with the latest update adding boss revamps, quality of life, progression changes, and a new bosses. There's so much to cover here, so let's just start with pre-hard mode for now. All gameplay was done in Revengeance mode with the melee class, I did not touch death or malice mode and have no plans to. I wish to hold on to the last of my sanity, please. Gather round everyone, it's time for a 5th grade history lesson. The first version of Calamity dropped on June 1, 2016. It added new materials, weapons, accessories, and three bosses, the Desert Scourge, the Slime God, and the Devourer of Gods. At this point, the bosses were basically just clones of other AI and do not resemble their current states at all. From 1.0 onward, the mod would be updated with new items, bosses, and balances. It wasn't until 1.2 when Calamity gained tons of balances, resprites, poltergast, and the new difficulty mode, Revengeance. In its initial release, Revengeance caused the player to gain stress based on a variety of factors, which would increase their damage and crit chance, but lower their defense. Later on, they would update Revengeance to use the new Rage and Adrenaline mechanics, with Rage building up when enemies are around and Adrenaline building when not taking damage from boss fights. 1.3 added the new Aquatic Scourge boss, and the Sulfurious Sea and Abyss biomes, more on those later. 1.4 replaced the Astrogeldon Slime boss with the new Astromora's boss and added the Astral Infection biome, spawned in hard mode. The 1.4.5 update added abandoned labs and new weapons themed around them, along with some boss reworks and new accessories. And that brings us to 1.5, the Dreden update, adding a new endgame boss, reworks to the abandoned labs, reworked bosses, and a new resprite for the final boss. This is where we currently are and the version that I played. The work that's gone into this mod since the first version in 2016 is incredible, and there's still more work being put in, as the current final boss is not planned to be the end, more bosses have been planned. The amount of lore and backstory also helps explain everything that's been added. The lead developer of the mod is Fab Soul, and also seems to be the person responsible for the My Little Pony references. Thanks, Fab for the amazing work, but if you are responsible, I shall never forgive you. Of course, they aren't the only developer on the team, many have contributed to the mod, and some have even gotten specific content added for them. One outstanding artist who contributed most of the music is DM DeCuro. Every boss has a unique song, and most of them are his doing, along with most of the biome themes. Unfortunately, he had to leave the team due to harassment and fans demanding him to work faster but what he has contributed is incredible and I found myself listening to the soundtrack almost every day. Now that you a bit about the development and team, let's dive into what they've created. 
Starting with a new character and world, everything is as it should be, save for the new starter bag item in your inventory. Opening this gives us some potions, weapons, and items to switch to the new difficulty modes. Besides that, you already know the drill, build a house or three for NPCs, explore left, right and below for items, and grab some cash from the zombies at night. One thing you'll quickly notice when exploring the surface is the new Wolfram enemies, which drop a new material called Wolfram Metal Scraps, that you will want to hoard. Going past the dungeon, you will find a new biome called the Sulfurious Seas, filled with green toxic water and brown, lifeless soil. Attempting to go into the water will kill you over time, but if you manage to survive, you can find chests with some unique loot. Just don't go too deep yet. Other than that, this biome is of no use yet. Going past the underground desert, you will find another new, more friendly biome, the Sunken Sea. The area is flooded, it's full of bright crystals, the music is relaxing, and the creatures are mostly docile, once again, not much here is very useful, you can't even mine anything yet. One thing you should look out for down there is one of the abandoned laboratories. These will be very necessary for progression, so if you can find it this early, do so. You will need to avoid the lasers, as they can't be destroyed without a nightmare or deathbringer pickaxe. In one of the chests, you will find a schematic that unlocks more crafting recipes, and logs that reveal some lore about the sea and its creatures. You will also want to grab the new materials in the chests, and some of the new furniture in the lab as it will be necessary for crafting later. Now, this is what I would recommend doing before fighting your first boss. Get a full set of Wolfram armor. It will take 25 Wolfram metal scraps and 3 energy cores, dropped by Wolfram pylons and the Wolfram that are brought near them. I would also recommend going into the Corruption or Crimson to grab some weapons and, if you're a mage in 1.3, wait for a meteor to drop and grab meteor armor. There are also some rare accessories such as Luxor's Gift and the Gladiator's Locket found in the Underground Desert and Marble Biomes respectively. You can also just take a look at this guide for the best equipment for whatever point you're at. Once you have your equipment, you'll need to grab 25 sand blocks, 15 cactus, 4 antlion mandibles, and 2 stormlion mandibles, dropped from a new enemy in the underground desert. Bringing these to a demon-slash-crimson altar, you can craft the desert medallion, and we can finally get on the first new boss. The Desert Scourge is the first new boss you take on in Calamity. If you've fought the Eater of Worlds before, then you know how worm bosses behave. Building a long row of platforms above the desert will make this boss a complete pushover. Again, it's just a worm, however, once it reaches 50% HP, it will gain a new attack, marked by a roar, where it will burrow underground and charge straight upward towards you. In Revengeance mode, it does this attack regardless of its HP. In Revengeance, it will also spawn with two smaller worms, called Desert Nuisances, which have no special attacks and behave like any other worm enemy. Only two will spawn, and once they are defeated, that's it. The Desert Scourge itself has five extra segments and is slightly bigger. It also will randomly shoot projectiles from its body which defy gravity and move relatively slowly. Make sure you stay in the desert as well, as the Scourge will enrage when you leave. Lastly, the Scourge will inflict bleeding when it touches you. Once the Desert Scourge is defeated, it will drop a few materials including sand, coral, seashells, starfish, and a new material called Victide Shards. 
It also has one weapon for each class that it can drop, along with an ocean crest, which gives water breathing, an arrow stone which gives movement speed and jump boosts, and a sand cloak for rouges which allows you to bind a key to use 25% of your max stealth to summon a veil that gives boosted defense and life regen. Something else that drops when you first kill the scourge is a lore item. It doesn't do anything, but viewing it in your inventory will give some backstory to this creature which appears to be written by somebody who has great knowledge of it. They claim. The great sea worm appears to have survived the extreme heat and has even adapted to it. What used to be a majestic beast swimming through the water has now become a dried up and gluttonous husk, constantly on a voracious search for its next meal. Weird, it seems this creature used to be much stronger. It would be interesting to see what that would be like. One other boss you could take down at this point is, of course, King Slime. He's basically the same in Revengance mode, albeit faster and spawns more slime variants rather than just blue slimes. Once at 50% HP, it will also spawn a new minion, a crown jewel, which will float around and fire red bolts at the player. All in all, the changes to King Slime are pretty cool, and the Desert Scourge is an amazing first boss and addition to the game. The fact that it drops a new weapon for each class is amazing as well. Let's move on and see what's next in the cruel world of Calamity. Now that the Scourge has been defeated, you will want to take the Victide Shards and Random Ocean Materials, and craft yourself some Victide Bars. Using these will allow you to craft some new weapons, and an armor set that gives infinite water breathing and some stat boosts while underwater. I think you can guess where we're going next. We're going back to the Sunken Sea, and this time, we have a goal or two. Bringing some Gills Potions or the Ocean Crest for water breathing will make things much easier. Everything can now be mined as well now that the Scourge has been defeated. Be sure to keep any crystals and blocks you mine when down here, as they may be useful soon depending on your class. You're also going to want to look out for a mini-boss that spawns down here, called the Giant Clam. It's pretty simple to deal with every now and then it will either teleport above the player and attempt to slam down onto them or spawn three clams. Defeating the clam will spawn a new town NPC, Amidia's the Sea King. He sells a few items and gives help, similarly to the guide, as well as giving temporary water breathing for 10 minutes. The weapons he sells aren't necessary by any means, but they are good to take a look at and may be preferable for some people. The trident's pretty handy honestly. Going through his help dialogue, he mentions that the abandoned labs around the world belong to somebody by the name of Dreden. He also mentions somebody by the name of Yarim, who appears to be connected to the Sulfurious Sea and possibly the dungeon. Also, remember to look for Dreden's lab if you haven't already. Once you've grabbed some materials and amidias, it's time to take on everyone's favorite floating eye mouth. The Eye of Cthulhu starts out as you'd expect it to, easy as ever. Revengance mode causes it to be slightly more aggressive during phase 1, and switch to phase 2 at 75% HP. At 40% HP, it will continue doing its rapid dashes as normal, but it will also add a new attack, where it will attempt to align itself with the player horizontally, and dash towards them while spawning servants. A pretty good addition to the fight honestly, it feels like a natural extension of the eye's AI, and keeps you on your toes as you watch for the horizontal alignment. It also has two new drops, those being a new summon and melee weapon. The Death Stare Rod summons a mini-eye of Cthulhu to attack enemies, 
and the teardrop cleaver reduces enemy contact damage on hit for one second. It also drops another lore item, same with King Slime, but who cares, which says. So whoever this is, they are watching us. Not only us, but the other bosses as well? Interesting. Once the eye has been defeated, there is a chance of a new event happening, called the Acid Rain. During this event, new enemies will spawn in the Sulfurious Sea, which drop new weapons and materials. This is a good opportunity to potentially get an upgrade before the next fight, especially for Rouges, who now have access to a new set of armor, Sulfurious Armor. You will want to keep 5 scales to craft a summoning item for this event as well. All in all, a pretty basic event, like the Goblin Army, but nothing too special, yet. Also take out the Goblin Army as well, some new weapons there too, Tinker, etc. The Sulfurious Seas were created long ago, when Yaram's dungeon could no longer hold as many corpses as it needed to. Many of the bodies were dumped into the ocean. This, along with severe pollution from the heydays of Dreden's experiments have turned a paradise into a wasteland. At this point, there are two main options on what to fight next, the world evil's boss or a new one fought in a mushroom biome. While you can fight it underground, I would recommend grabbing some seeds and growing your own mushroom biome above ground with one or two long platforms for an arena. Also, keep 50 glowing mushrooms to craft its spawn item at an altar. While you wait for the mushroom biome to grow, it would be good to grab the summoning worm food or bloody spine and build an arena in the corruption slash crimson. It's the eater of worlds again, everyone's favorite worm, mostly the same as ever. Revengeance makes a few changes to this boss, such as increasing the number of segments to 79. It also won't start spitting on you until it's down to 71 segments. The head segments will also start firing cursed flames when it's brought down to 59 segments. New head segments will also retain the velocity of whatever other segment was broken, and it will enrage if brought outside the corruption rather than despawning. Pretty good changes altogether, but it's still just the eater of worlds at the end of the day, the extra aggression and cursed flames won't stop you. It also drops two lore items this time, the first being for the corruption itself, claiming that the biome was created from a deadly microbe created long before the Terrarians. And the Eater of Worlds itself has pretty boring lore honestly, it's just a worm that was infected by the microbe. Nothing more, nothing less. Crimson players will, of course, have the brain of Cthulhu to deal with instead. The first phase is pretty similar to normal and expert, the brain floats around and teleports randomly as eyeballs called creepers float around and charge into you. However, this time the brain will speed up its teleporting as more creepers die. Phase 2 is also pretty similar to normal, with the brain sometimes flying in a circle and charging at the player before teleporting. This attack will happen more often as its HP is brought down. Also, if you were thinking of using the minimap to identify which brain is the real one and which is an illusion, well that sucks as the icon will vanish once it's below 20% HP similar to the Eater of Worlds, it's a more hectic fight than the vanilla version with new attacks that build upon its other abilities, and the minimap icon disappearing is pretty smart and definitely messed me up when I noticed that the first time. It will also drop two lore items like the Eater. The Crimson's lore claims that it spawned from some mass of flesh that fell from space and corrupted the land around it. Sounds pretty terrifying, where could this mass have come from? 
Well, it seems our mysterious stalker doesn't know either as they describe it as. Once you've defeated your world's evil, you should check the class setups guide for what equipment you should look out for. The scales and tissue dropped by these bosses allow access to many more materials such as Hellstone, and you will want to upgrade yourself before this next fight. By this point, your mushroom biome should have grown and you should have crafted the Decapodida sprout at an altar. Now you should be capable of facing Crabulon, the perfect one. When first summoned, it will remain passive until attacked. When attacked, Crabulon will move and jump towards the player, while occasionally firing mushrooms at them. When 5% of its health is lost, it will summon a few spores that behave similarly to the ones in Planter's fight. In Revengance mode, it will also summon a wall of 20 projectiles from the sky after a few jumps. The projectiles will also fall diagonally when below 66% HP. Spawning it above ground will cause it to slightly enrage, making it run faster, although it's still easier to deal with than being underground honestly. However, leaving the above-ground mushroom biome will cause it to enrage further and run even faster. Felling the perfect one will net you some mushroom-themed weapons, and an accessory called the fungal clump, which summons a minion to attack enemies and heal you. If playing in revengeance mode, it will also drop a mushroom plasma root which, when used, will increase rage mode's duration by one second. Not a bad reward, although I didn't find Krabulin too difficult, you could honestly attempt it after the Eye of Cthulhu if you wanted. There's not much from the lore item though, it just mentions that it's a crab with mushrooms, and it one of them adapted from something? At this point, with some new weapons and a permanent upgrade at your disposal, it's time to return to the corruption slash crimson. You've most likely noticed a new creature in these biomes, either the hive cyst or the perforator cyst, and probably have made the mistake of killing them as well and paid the price. Now it's time to return to the arena you built for the previous evil boss, and take out the next one. Crimson players have the perforators to deal with. Killing the cyst will spawn the perforator hive, which attempts to ram into the player while firing walls of projectiles similar to Krabulin. When the projectiles are yellow, they inflict icor, and when they're red, they inflict a new debuff called Burning Blood, which causes you to lose 4 horsepower per second, lowers your life regen and defense, inflicts darkness, increases melee damage and speed, and lowers magic and ranged damage. It will also inflict these debuffs on contact as well. At 70% HP, every 10 seconds, it will float upwards and fire blobs of icor that will remain on the ground for a few seconds. At 75% HP, a small perforator worm will spawn. It behaves like a normal worm enemy, but it has a lot of acceleration when facing you. At 50% HP, another perforator will spawn, this one slightly bigger than the last, and behaving like the Eater of Worlds with multiple segments that can split into smaller worms when killed. Lastly, at 25% HP, the final perforator will spawn. This one is even bigger and behaves like the Desert Scourge being able to burrow underground and charge straight upwards towards the player. The hive will stop ramming the player and firing icor blobs when a perforator is alive. This is probably my favorite of the new pre-hard mode bosses. The hive AI is pretty basic, but fun to learn, and the fact that all three worms behave slightly differently and have unique sprites makes this more than just a crimson eater of worlds. It will also drop new weapons and accessories based around the crimson, and a new material blood samples, which can be used to craft a summoning item for it and also any weapon it may not have dropped. 
The lore mentions that the hive is infested by the perforator worms, somehow, and that. The hive mind is the boss that corruption players will face off against. Killing the cyst will spawn an immobile brain surrounded by hive blobs. When far enough away from the boss, the blobs will start firing projectiles toward the player every few seconds. Also, every few seconds, the brain will vanish and reappear on the player. Every 5% HP lost, it will summon more blobs or dank creepers to attack the player. Dank creepers will spawn a rain cloud when killed which can easily mess you up if not careful. Rarely, hitting it will cause it to summon an eater of souls or devourer. When brought down to 80% HP, it enters phase 2 and starts to float towards the player. Every few seconds it will dash toward the player and fade away, reappearing next to thee and spinning in a circle, followed by another dash towards them. When below 53% HP, it gains a new attack, where instead of flying in a full circle, it flies in a semicircle and spawns a dank creeper, dark heart, eater of souls and devourer. At 27% HP, it gains another attack where it teleports above the player, dashes horizontally, and spawns a few rain clouds. Similar to the perforators, this boss is more than just the corruption brain of Cthulhu, however, it has more similarities to the brain than the perforators do to the eater. The hive mind is still pretty unique with its circular dash and the large number of minions it spawns during its fight. Also, like the perforators, it drops many weapons associated with it and a new material, rot matter. The lore isn't as interesting as the perforators to me, it states the hive mind is. Killing either of these bosses will result in a new or aerialite spawning underground. Using these, new powerful weapons, armor and accessories. This is also where you'll want to go back to the schematic you found in the sunken sea. Holding the schematic in your inventory will allow you to craft new weapons using mysterious circuitry, dubious plating, aerialite bars, and sea prisms crafted from five prism shards. The schematic will also allow you to build a new furniture-slash-crafting station called the Codebreaker Base using the plating and circuits, as well as one charging station, which can be found in Dreden's labs. Currently, it's of no use, but that will change soon. The schematic's description includes a note from Dreden informing you to search for another lab in the atmosphere and quote I will know by the end if you are worthy of battling my creations, wonder what that means, we'll probably never know. What the other part of the note means, however, is that you now must travel up to another new biome, kinda, the planetoids. In the space layer, round masses of land will spawn, possibly containing chests, life crystals, an enchanted sword shrine, and one of the Dreden's labs. The lab will be in the largest planetoid, which spawns pretty close to the center of the map. In it, you'll find a bunch of planter boxes and herb bags, as well as another log and an encrypted schematic. The log gives a bit of info on Dreden, showing us that he came from space and his thoughts on the planetoids. What's even more interesting though is his mention of the bloated cosmic worm, which he claims that he built armor for that. Resists nearly any attack, yet allows the creature the same flexibility it would have without it, as well as augmenting its dimensional abilities. Creepy, sounds like a fight that could take a person roughly 416 attempts, but that would never happen, right? Regardless, this encrypted schematic won't be very useful unless it's decrypted. Grabbing the sunken sea schematic again will allow us to build an upgrade for the codebreaker base, the decryption computer. 
Using the plating, circuits, wire, copper bars and glass, you can place this item on top of the base and it will become usable. By right-clicking it, we can place the encrypted schematic in there, and we'll notice it requires 500 power cells to decrypt. These can be obtained by power cell factories, also found in labs. When placed, they will create one cell every 15 seconds, so wait a while and you'll have enough to decrypt it. It contains another message from Dreden showing that he's now taken interest in you and directs you towards another lab closest to the lizard's home. That can wait till hard mode though, for now, the schematic also lets you craft new items once decrypted, which require mithril slash or calcum. So yeah, still gotta wait till hard mode. Well before moving on to Skeletron, I guess we can talk about Queen Bee as well. Queen Bee is basically the same as Vanilla, but she attacks much faster as her life drops. She also sometimes will summon a hornet instead of a bee, and charges 4 times instead of 3 when brought to 33% HP. Yeah, not as many changes as the other bosses have, kinda disappointing honestly. She does drop a new accessory, the bee, which increases your damage, based on your damage reduction while at full HP, and will reduce damage by 50% while at full HP. She also has a new consumable rouge weapon that exists. It's alright, but I still prefer Bionades. Her lore is also pretty foreboding. After all of that, we are at the final stretch. Only three bosses left to go and at this point, you should have the equipment necessary to deal with these next two. Once it's night, it's time to make your way to the dungeon entrance to take out Skeletron. In the beginning, the fight is the same as vanilla, just focus on destroying his hands, then target his head. Once both hands are destroyed, however, Skeletron will begin to teleport every few seconds and fires three magic bolts in your direction. Also, once it's brought down to 33% HP, the hands will respawn and he will continue to fire skulls at a slower pace. He will also continue to teleport as well. All in all, pretty simple changes, but they keep the fight intense in the latter half and the magic bolts slash teleporting is a cool addition that helps it feel a little less repetitive. It drops no new items besides the lore which mentions a curse that affects the elderly, making them a vessel for a demon from the underworld. Of course, you will have access to the dungeon as usual and, if you have at least one platinum, a new NPC, the bandit. She will sell many items for rouges as well as refund the player some of the money they spend on the goblin tinkerer. Going into the dungeon, you will notice that dark casters have some new weapons that they drop, which may be of some use. But more interesting is a new bright purple chest, which cannot be opened. Probably will be useful later. While you're down there, make sure to grab a shadow key and some gill and flipper potions from Amidias. These will be very necessary for what's next. Heading to the edge of the Sulfurious Sea, you'll need to dive down as far as you can to enter the abyss. Down there, lighting is reduced and breath will decrease even with water breathing, albeit slower with water breathing. Enemies also aggro less down there as well. Going down low enough, you will find locked shadow chests with some of the best pre-hard mode accessories and weapons. You will most definitely want these. Defense will be reduced and the enemies will become more dangerous as you go lower, although you can't reach the bottom at your current state, attempting to is a waste of time. Whatever this place is, you'll definitely want to come back later, and maybe even reach the bottom. 
Once you're done with the abyss, you'll want to grab 40 blighted gel and 40 evil blocks to craft overloaded sludge at an altar and move to the second last fight. I'm assuming you've heard the legends that speak of the ninja status? There are some who say that if you were able to defeat the gods, which his clan once worshipped, you would be able to harness some of his powers. The last new boss of pre-hard mode is the slime god. When summoned, you will be faced with two large slimes, one for the corruption and one for the crimson, and the slime god itself, which is a small ball. The large slimes will attempt to jump towards you similarly to King Slime, while occasionally flying above you and slamming into the ground. When you're far enough away, the slimes will fire orbs at you with the Crimulan firing less faster, and the Abonian one firing more orbs at a slower pace. Some of these orbs will slow down and stay in place for a while before exploding. Damaging either of them enough will cause them to spawn more slimes similar to King Slime. When either is brought down to 50% HP, they will split into two smaller slimes. When either the Crimulan or Abonian slime is killed, the other will gain boosts to attack rate or defense, respectively. The slime god itself will float around and attempt to ram into you. When damaging it, there is a chance it will fly into and merge with one of the other slimes for about 10 seconds. While merged, the slime will gain boosted attack and defense and will behave as if it's in death mode, regardless of the chosen difficulty. When brought down to 20% HP, or 40% if both of the other slimes have been defeated, it will enter phase 2, being able to move faster as well as occasionally teleporting near the player and spinning around them while firing orbs. Honestly, this fight is pretty intense. Going into it unprepared will absolutely destroy you. The worst part is the orbs that just sit there, menacingly. The second phase will keep you on your toes if you're like me and only had just over 100 horsepower. The lore dropped by the slime god claims that it's one of the most dangerous creatures ever known and that. It drops a few magic and summon weapons, as well as an accessory that mages will love. It also drops purified jam on the first kill for each player, which makes the player invincible and immune to most debuffs for 10 seconds. Use it wisely. Another important item that it drops is purified gel, which can be used to craft even more weapons and accessories, as well as a new set of armor, Statagel armor. The set will give increased jump height and speed, as well as an extra jump and abilities, depending on the helmet that is worn. It will also grant extra frames when taking over 100 damage in one hit. After gathering all the necessary equipment, potions, and making the necessary preparations, it's time to travel to hell for one last fight. The Wall of Flesh, the final challenge for pre-hard mode, the gatekeeper of the ancient spirits, also has a few too many mouths. Starting out, it's the same as you remember it, move along your bridge, while avoiding lasers and the hungry. The bursts are capped at 3 lasers max, and when brought to 50% HP, the lasers will turn red, dealing more damage and inflicting fire. Running too far from it will now cause it to charge at you faster and, once it inevitably catches up to you, it will slow down and fire a bunch of slower-moving lasers, one from each eye. Honestly, not too many changes here, but punishing the player for attempting to stray too far is a pretty interesting idea. There are new weapons added to its drops for the Rouge, Summon and Ranger classes as well as a new emblem for Rouges, and an item, the Hermit's Box of 100 Medicines, which when used will allow the player to respawn with full HP honestly an incredible item, really cuts down on the nurse's fees. 
The lore item doesn't tell us much about the wall of flesh itself, but it does state. I see the deed is done. The unholy amalgamation of flesh and hatred has been defeated. Prepare to face the terrors that lurk in the light and dark parts of this world. Which seems to show that whoever is writing these knew the consequences of killing it? Just who is this and how do they know so much? It also drops lore for the underworld, claiming that people somehow used to live here at some point? Regardless defeating the wall of flesh will finally activate hard mode, showing the usual messages about the ancient spirits of light and dark being released, as well as a new message, a star has fallen from the heavens. Interesting. HM. The veil has fallen, and the world begins to show its true colors. I hope you will trek a righteous path, though even I am not sure what that may be. Wow, the additions added in pre-hard mode alone are incredible. All the new equipment and bosses fit in so well, and the additional AI changes to vanilla bosses in Revengeance mode and above are mostly great and builds upon their base mechanics. While we haven't explored everything this new world gen has to offer, the new biomes we have seen are a nice addition. The sunken sea is peaceful and bright, the sulfurous sea is calming and yet deadly, especially when it rains, the planetoids exist, and the abyss has so much mystery to it. The new lore and plot are also incredible, being revealed as you progress in lore items, schematics and even the new equipment. Who is writing these messages? What is waiting for us at the end of the schematic hunt? Just what do they know that we don't? There's still a lot left to cover so wait another 6 months, give or take, and I'll have my thought on the hard mode additions out eventually. As for that star that fell from the heavens, I'm sure whatever that was will be peaceful and friendly when we find it.